honoring you in what we do and what we sing and what we say. Father, I lift up this morning another fellowship at First Baptist Church Kettle Mills. Pastor Carl Reimhold, Father, I pray for Carl and his wife that this week has been a sweet week of fellowship for them in their marriage and with their family. That his study this week has been empowering and that he would be able to deliver that message that you have for him clearly, concisely to his people and that they would hear with attentive ears. Father, I pray that same thing for us this morning, that what is said will be clearly your truth, and that what everyone hears will be clearly truth, and that their ears would be trained to that truth. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have for a going back to a single service, and the house is full. And Father, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, there are many faces here that I hadn't seen uh, because I go to the second service. <laughs> and today I'm seeing new faces, but Father, I pray that we would be one people. We would be unified in all things. <clears throat> Father, thank you for loving us, and it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. I started... I planned to start with an introduction, so I'll do it now. My name is Morris Bean. Um, I'm one of the deacons here at Cross Point, and Scott called me a couple of weeks ago and asked if I would be willing to preach for a couple of weeks between then and the first of the year, and I said, sure, I'd be glad to. He said, well, he said, all right, I've got your availability. Let, let me check your schedule. He said, check your schedule and see what it is. I said, okay. That was about 45 minutes. I get another text, and he said, how about October 7th and 14th? I hadn't even looked at my schedule yet, and I said, okay, that, that's going to be fine. This morning and next week, God willing, we're going to examine one aspect of holding the keys of the kingdom that we've been hearing about. That aspect we're going to look at for the next two Sundays is discernment. Okay? To give you a roadmap of our morning, we're going to be reading initially in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. So if you want to begin to turn there, that's fine. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 is our main focal passage this morning. And in that, we're going to try to answer the question, why we need discernment in our church? Why we need discernment in our lives? We're then going to be unpacking the points that the author of Hebrews gives us to the church today. And it's my plan to end with four application points at the end of that time. Now, we should not just parachute into the middle of a passage without knowing something about that passage. That parachuting in can be dangerous. And we hear Ben use that analogy a lot because he, he's a Marine, he did that kind of stuff, and that kind of language just kind of sticks with us, okay? and that's a good thing. Several years ago, Ben preached through the book of Hebrews, and some of us here this morning, we're here at that time, and Hebrews may be very familiar to you as a result of that. However, there may be some here that were not here when Ben preached through Hebrews, 
So I want to set a little bit of a context for us this morning. First, the letter was written by an unnamed preacher to the church. We don't know who this preacher is. But it's obvious in Hebrews 13, 18 through 24, that the people that were the recipients of this letter knew the preacher. We just don't know that. God didn't see fit to let us know who it was. It's God's reasoning, so we'll just say, okay. Not much else we can do. We also do not have absolute proof of who the church is that was the recipient. But we can be absolutely certain this morning that God allowed this letter to be preserved in our Bible that we have today. And so... He preserved that letter for 2018 for this church, for Crosspoint. In chapter 1, we are reminded that Jesus is the only Son of God. And as such, in chapter 2, we are admonished to pay attention to what we have been taught in what we have received, what we have heard. In chapter 3, we're reminded that Jesus is greater than Moses. In chapter 4, we're reminded that we have Sabbath rest in Jesus. And in chapter 5, we are instructed that we have a better high priest in Jesus. So that brings us to our passage for today. Again, everything that's been said up to this point has prepared for this next statement. When the preacher says, about this, everything else prior to that in the beginning of the letter. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, to capture where we are today and where we've come from, I want to first point out that God refers to us as sheep. Does that make you feel honored? (laughs) Not necessarily. But he does refer to us as sheep. And some years ago, Brad Cardwell preached a series of sermons from James pointing out that James is not a rule book, but it's a wool book. It's a book that shows us what we are to look like as sheep, covered in wool, covered in God's grace, covered in God's design and wisdom. I want to add to that this morning. There are different kinds of sheep. We tend to have this picture. Well, they're good. (laughs) They're really good. We tend to have this Picture in our mind of a baby lamb when we think of sheep. We tend to 
Consider the cute, cuddly, full of fun as they jump and play picture of sheep. And if that is all we are, then we are absolutely open to attack. The wolf, the panther, the lion, the predator, that's lunch. Okay? Would we ever consider that that sheep would be guarding over us, watching over us, protecting us. Everybody could do this. Because we wouldn't see that. However, God created another kind of sheep. This is a protector. This is a guardian. This is a watchman. God created the ram with a very specific purpose in the flock. And that's to help guard the flock. He helps the shepherd. In fact, in a a close-knit flock, the shepherd could speak and the ram would go. One, the ram is faster than the shepherd, typically. And so the, the ram would help the shepherd. And I will never, ever minimize the role of the shepherd in protecting the flock. Because Jesus himself spoke time after time after time about being the shepherd and what the role of the shepherd is. However, God did create rams like this one on the wall to be in the group as well and to help the shepherd. Their role working with the shepherd was also to watch, to guard, and protect the flock. This morning and next week, God permitting, I'm going to examine one part of the role that we as sheep have to protect, guard, and watch over this body. Our role in holding the keys of the kingdom. One of our roles in being priest, king, binding, and loosing. Last week in our Bible study hour, we examined the circumstances of the people of the earth about 700 years after the flood. They decided in their own minds to consider themselves more important. Their plans were more important than those of God. They decided to build a tower that would reach up into heaven. How could this happen? Don't you think that the people at that time would have learned who God is and what God's plans are? And that as we heard from Clint this morning reading, that God says, my ways are higher than your ways. Well, they obviously didn't get it. If we look back into the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve chose to sin, they wanted to be like God, and that was their temptation, and that was their sin. They didn't get it either. But God's plan for his creation continued. And that's the good news that we have. Now in our modern time, you would think that on this side of the cross, we have Jesus. Okay. We have the Holy Spirit. You would think that we would be safe from false teaching. That we would know immediately, oh, that's wrong. I've got to stay away from that. 
Sadly, that's not the case. I want to go back in history. Some of you are not even old enough to remember this, but I'm going to say it anyway. In 1988, there was a booklet that was published, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1988. This book was widely distributed over the United States and in some other parts of the world. Over 4.5 million copies were sold. It's a lot of books. 300,000 of those books were sent to pastors free of charge. The author claimed that if the rapture did not take place in 1988, then the Bible was in error. And people bought into that. In 1987, just a year before, <clears throat> a one-time prominent pastor stood before a congregation of over 5,000 people in California. He raised his hands and he, he proclaimed, You shall all be like God. As soon as he said that, there were thunderous applause. It took several minutes for them to calm the, the, the congregation down. How could these things happen? In our lives today. In a Christian community that proclaims to worship the one true God. How could things like that be accepted, open, listened to? One thing that's missing in all of these situations is this. Their powers of discernment had either been weakened or lost. In every one of those situations. So our purpose this morning is, first of all, I want to define discernment from a biblical perspective. John MacArthur wrote, in its simplest definition, discernment is nothing more than the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. Discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. In other words, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with an ability to think biblically. Now let's look at the passage from Hebrews. The first thing that the author of Hebrews said to the church was that we had become dull of hearing. What does that mean? It could be simply that the person no longer wants to hear good instruction. They may say, hey, I've got the gospel. I'm good. Or they might say, all I want is the gospel. Don't give me anything else. They may say, I have faith in Jesus, so don't give me instructions. They may simply say, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want any instructions. However, six times in the Gospels, Jesus himself said that we were to have ears to hear. Being dull of hearing indicates that the people have stopped 
listening. They've stopped hearing truth. They've become lazy, not applying the truth as been taught and revealed to them. As we practice listening, active, thoughtful listening, our ears are sharpened. They're not dulled. In the commentary by R.C. Sproul about this section, he points out that the words dull of hearing is the same word originally that was used in chapter 6, verse 12, that is translated into the word sluggish. Suggesting that the danger of spiritual laziness is the view throughout this entire passage. Starts with the dull of hearing, it ends with sluggish. Hebrews 6, verses 11 and 12 says, As we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In fact, the word dull and sluggish is the beginning and the end of this particular exhortation of the preacher of Hebrews. He clearly states that we cannot be a consumer people. We can't just come to get our church on. We can't just come and this be a country club setting. We're here to have active listeners, ready listeners, discerning listeners, and we are to have ears to hear. The second thing the preacher of Hebrews points out is that we should also be teachers of God's word. You may think, whoa, 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 I don't have the gift of teaching. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Every one of us have the ability to share with others in your everyday life as you walk around how God's grace has come into your life and how you have benefited from the things that God has done and you share that with other people, guess what? You're teaching. Okay? If you're recognizing what God is doing in your life and sharing that with other people, you are teaching. And that's what the pastor of Hebrews is talking about here. We are to be teaching younger, newer Christians. But rather than being able to teach, if we are dull of hearing, then we are more prone to pick up errant messages, messages that are not truth, messages that are lie. And we can succumb to those. Secondly, another reason is that we may have come to the place where I just want to hear what I want to hear. Okay. Don't confuse me with the facts. Tickle my ears. Paul spoke to that in Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4.3, where it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. <clears throat> As believers, suffering hardships in life always lead us to be able to share with someone else 
that's going through a similar circumstance. And we've seen that time and time again in our congregation. Someone's going through something and they have a real tough time and they survive it and God brings them through that and they experience the grace of God and then God gives them the, the opportunity and the privilege sometime later to talk to someone else that's going through something very similar. Folks, that's teaching. That's what God calls us to do. That's what the pastor of Hebrews is encouraging us in. We need to also understand that discerning includes both what we might say and teach, but more importantly, what we hear. The teaching that we encounter is not only found here at Cross Point Fellowship, it's not only found in this spot on the stage with this impressive cedar lectern with some steel at the bottom. Okay. There's nothing about this spot that's holy. There's nothing about this spot that's sacred. But this is where week in and week out our elders stand and they equip us. But you know what? We've got to have ears to hear. And we need to hear rightly. You hear things in other places in the world. Basically, anywhere you find your feet, you're going to hear things. Okay? So you have to listen to what's being said in every context, in every venue, and discern what's right from wrong, what's true, what's error, what's holy, what's evil. We hear teaching everywhere we go, on TV, on the radio, on the internet. People speaking publicly in meetings, at lunch, at work, at school. We have to decide. We must be discerning in what we hear. We can't be passive listeners. At least not all the time. There's got to be some switch that we can turn on when we hear something and we're tuned into, is this truth or error? We need to have ears to hear the truth. We need teachers also. And this includes our elders who are called to equip us. But we have, if we become dull in hearing, then we have to work to change that. And listening to good truth helps us tune our ears. We need someone again to teach us the basic principles. We don't need that week in and week out. But we need that periodically. We need to be reminded where we came from. We need to be reminded of what God did when he spoke creation into existence. We need to be reminded of the temptation in the garden. We need to be reminded of God's working with his people throughout the history that we have recorded in his word. We need to be equipped for our everyday walking in this world. And that's what our elders do. They equip us. That's what the teachers do who stand behind a lectern, a podium. They teach us the truth of God's word. We are to read. That also helps tune our ears as to what's true. We have to study the word. You can study a lot of things. 
But if you're not studying the word, you're missing out on a large part of the truth, possibly. We are called to handle accurately the sword of the spirit, which takes us to the next point. The preacher of Hebrews says that we're milk drinkers, okay? that we need milk and not solid food. That's what happens when people have dull, who are dull of hearing. They need milk. Now, those living on milk are unskilled in the word of righteousness. The sluggish, the non-discerning are milk-only consumers. However, please note that we are called to wear God's complete armor. One aspect of that armor in Ephesians 6 is the sword of the Spirit. Have you ever seen someone pick up a sword and swing it around and they don't know what they're doing? That's dangerous for everyone in the room. Picking up a sharp-edged instrument of warfare takes practice and a developed skill. The same thing holds true of picking up a sharpened spiritual weapon of warfare. We got to handle it accurately. It takes practice and it takes time to develop that skill. Thus, we're to have ears to hear. That's one of the ways that we're developed in our skill. The fifth point in Hebrews, chapter 5, is our goal. That's Hebrews 5 14. The preacher of Hebrews says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's our goal in our lives. There is no doubt whatsoever that Jesus loves children. We've seen that through scripture time and time again. Jesus loved the children. He loves milk drinkers. So if you're here this morning and you think, gee, I must be a milk drinker. Guess what? Jesus still loves you. He does. Absolutely. He loves you. But he also wants you to move from being a milk drinker to a hearty beef eating individual. You know, the, the man's, um, uh, I guess, nickname, if you want to use that. We've talked about the beef eaters, you know, getting the men together. That's what God wants of each one of us. While there's milk out there and God provides for the milk drinkers, he does. He provides the spiritual nourishment that milk, ne- milk drinkers need. He provides that without question. But then there is some big, juicy, tender, savory hunks of beef. Some of you may be vegetarians, and that's okay. That's your choice. There's some, there's some good vegetables to chew on also. That's not a problem. Okay. But God wants us to not just be milk drinkers. He wants us to progress in our life as Christians to take on the things that are for the mature. So how do we grow? How do we get to that? I'm going to keep using this analogy, that hearty beef-eating individual, spiritually. How do we get there? How do we grow through being mentored, through being discipled? 
walking with someone day in and day out, hearing how they talk, hearing how they answer questions, hearing the kind of questions they ask, and you begin to pick that stuff up. And it's good stuff. It's good food for the maturing. Okay. Have you ever heard someone explain something and you walk away thinking, man, I wish I could do that. And you also think, I, I don't think I can do that. Kendra and I were at Ridgecrest Baptist Church for a number of years before God moved us out here. And the first year that we were there, we were in a Bible study class uh, for the young married adults. And the very first class we were in in this Bible study, the teacher would ask questions and there might be a pause. And, but there was, always, there was a guy sitting right across the room from me. Every question he answered according to Scripture. And he didn't just give it a little bit. He quoted the entire scripture and he gave us the address. He would say, what book, what chapter, what verse? And he would quote it. And this went on for the whole class. And I thought, I can't do that. And I, I mean, I felt like I didn't belong. In fact, when we left that day and we were going home, Kendra said, well, what'd you think? And I said, I think we may need to go someplace else. And I was serious. And she said, why would you say that? And I said, because I can't do what that guy in the Bible study class did. I don't understand the word that way. Found out later that Steve McKenzie and his wife, Sarah Day, were missionaries in, in Central America. And he had sat at the feet of Bible scholars for a number of years growing up and in his early college years, he had been mentored. He had been discipled. I never had been. Steve was equipped. His ears had been sharpened. He knew the word. And it was shortly after that that Pastor Bob Hamilton began to mentor me in biblical counseling. And folks, that's where the skill development comes from is walking with people on a day by day basis I have four application points that I want to share with you now one we have been given the keys to the kingdom as the church as individuals as priest kings we have that gift to us from God. And in that, we have the authority from God to escape the corruption of the world. We have the authority to make right decisions. Decisions that honor God. We have that authority. We've been given the authority to go and distinguish between good and evil in every situation that we encounter. Ephesians 4, 14. God's word says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. 
We have that authority. We have that ability. Secondly, God has given us all that we need pertaining to life and godliness to live our lives. That is to make decisions about our daily lives in order to honor God. We have that ability from God. In 2 Peter 1 verses 3 3 and 4. God says through Peter that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter here is talking to the corporate church. He's talking to us. And he's talking to them to let them know that they have been given the authority once again to make decisions that honor God and build up the church. Notice this is not a suggestion. This is a command. Third application point is, based on those first two, we're to be active listeners. We are to be testing what is said and deciding if it's right or wrong. See, I hope this morning you're sitting there making that judgment right now. Am I saying what I'm saying? Is it truth or error? Okay. That's what active listening is. It's not just sitting there letting the words flow over. You've got to be active. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 21 and 22. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We are to be skilled in the word of righteousness. We are being, and and knowing that being skilled is not a gift. It's not just something that God pours out on us. It's something that we are, that's developed in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's through our actions, through our study, through our walking with other people. A friend of mine said that he, he realized Uh, about the time he was age 45, that his goal should be to walk with spiritual giants. He wanted to surround himself with men who have walked with God and who live that lifestyle. That's about being skilled. That's about developing that skill. Being skilled is something that we work toward, we aspire to, and we practice. The fourth application point this morning then is the testing includes not only what's said, but who is saying it. The testing includes not only what is said, but who is saying it. In 1 John 4, 1, God's word says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
We are to test the spirits that are speaking, and we're talking about individuals here. Okay? They have to line up with the truth of God's word. This is our straight edge. This is our plumb bob. This is our absolute measure of what's truth. And if what's being said doesn't line up with God's word, then it may be false. In fact, I'll say it more distinctly. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it is false. And what's being taught is a strange doctrine. And I don't have time this morning to go into all of that, but I'm just telling you, that's what it is. Okay. And I know our elders pretty well. And I don't, I don't believe that any of our elders want the people of Cross Point to believe what they're saying just because they're elders. They want you to examine what's said. They want you to test what's said. They want you to hold it up to God's word and make sure it lines up. Because if it doesn't, it's strange doctrine. And we can be led astray. Groups are led astray a lot that are dull of hearing. We don't want that. We must be sharp. We must have ears for hearing. And I'll say right now, I don't want you to believe Anything that I've said just because I'm standing here and just because I have a mic on and I've got a podium and I may sound like I know what I'm, I'm talking about. I hope I do. But if what I've said doesn't line up to God's word, please come talk to me. You have that authority to do that. And you do that every time you hear. And every time that we gather here, we need a congregation that's not dull of hearing. We need a congregation who is standing in the authority that they have from God to be active, skilled listeners in handling the word of righteousness. Now next week, God willing, I'll be continuing with this study of what it means to be called to be discerning. And that being part of holding the keys of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your presence. Father, you are here not because of who we are, but you are here because of who you are. And your love for us Father, I thank you for your call for us to be trained in handling the word of righteousness. And Father, I pray for the rest of our service this morning that you would be honored and glorified as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. Okay. Brad's going to lead us in the supper now.